0: Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina. Sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. Getting the homework. Yeah, fine. I got to the assignment number three. And the assignment number three was on flag burning, right? And I had a lot of, like, different opinions on this from the people that you guys interviewed. And I said, I've got to take a moment just to talk about this for a little bit because it's an interesting talking point. Um, so what do, does everything on the page here in front of you have in common? It all offends somebody. So Satanism, quoting the Bible, burning the flag, displaying the flag, Nazi propaganda, Sesame Street. We'll talk about that. (laughs) Quoting the Quran, watching a Roman Polanski film, Harry Potter, atheist propaganda, watching a Weinstein film, political speech, countercultural ideologies, Scientology, the Me Too movement, and the Walt Disney Company. So we know pretty much why promoting Satanism would probably offend people, right? I mean that that's a pretty obvious thing. It just you know doesn't doesn't jive with a mainstream cultural thing since we were founded, quote unquote, as a Christian nation. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot of mainstream, I guess, uh, guttural reaction of, against Satanism. They did put up a satanic statue. Where was this? In the Midwest somewhere. Did you hear about this story? It happened about a year or two ago. You heard about this? It was a large, like 12 foot, 15 foot statue of Baphomet. Yeah. And they said that if the courthouse has a right to have the Ten Commandments, we have a right to display an object from our religion. Um, So, but we know that's controversial. Yeah, quoting the Bible, some people are offended by that. You know, they think that that's offensive. Burning the flag, and as we know, why that's offensive. Displaying the flag, some people, uh, how about like athletes taking a knee during a game, right? They said, We're not going to acknowledge what the flag stands for and what what you're standing for because we're offended by some of the injustices in our system. What about Nazi propaganda? We understand why that's offensive, right? Because of racism and evil that's associated with it. What about, Um, good. Sure. My, my boyfriend is he he is he's at Barton in his dorm room. There is a <coughs> Nazi like thing okay. painted over it, but you can still see it. Somebody like, painted a Nazi simple. symbol. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they've tried to paint over it. Right. It's just so weird to see and some, it's like it's like, okay, why would you ever do that? Whether it was a joke or they really thought that is sure. like yeah. Right. so you can really see it cuz it pops out with that sure. and you can just it's just huge and i was like well absence, see what that would be. Um, with regards to the nazi propaganda you, if you are endorsing nazi propaganda the bigger picture is that the nazi movement um, was basically involved a large genocide and it was basically you're saying that i'm okay with murdering means of people in order to accomplish whatever our objective is. But what about Sesame Street? What's offensive about Sesame Street? I forget. It's the, it didn't, one of the guys. We're teaching, we're indoctrinating our kids into the system, you know. We're teaching them, you know, this, you know, that we need to take care of everybody and it might be construed as socialism or leftist ideology, you know. Uh, I don't know about yeah. that. Could be, could what be, of, uh, yeah. Quo- quoting from the Quran, you know, if you if you're doing that in a heavily, you know, Christian area, people might construe that as being offensive. Um, what about Roman Polanski? Does anybody know who that is? No, I know, He's I know. a director that was accused, not convicted, of um, of abusing underage girls, you know. And so, Harry Potter. What's offensive about Harry Potter? Wizards and witchcraft, right? Um, atheist propaganda. Has anybody seen that commercial with Ron Reagan? It says, have you seen that? He says, you know, support, you know, it's, it's the freedom from religion um, movements. And he said at the end of the commercial, he said, I'm Ron Reagan, uh, not afraid of burning in hell. That's what the commercial ends on, yeah. <laughs> but some people would be offended by that, right? Uh, what about watching a Weinstein film? Who, who's Harvey Weinstein? Harvey Weinstein is the guy who is at the center of the Me Too movement, and he was accused of uh, basically inappropriate uh, sexual stuff with women. So, yeah, but he made a whole bunch, or his company made a whole bunch of movies, including a lot of Tarantino flicks. And so some people might say, you know, supporting that company, you're basically voting with your dollars for that individual. Political speech, there's a lot of offensive things that could happen in political speech, right? And stuff that's uh, incorrect or, you know, even stuff that's correct. If you if you say things that are factually correct, uh, if you could prove them scientifically, they would be 100% definitely correct. If you say it, some people are still offended by that. What about uh, like counter, countercultural ideologies, things that go against the mainstream, like rock and roll music, that damn devil music, right? Like back in the day, people thought that Elvis was like the, the Antichrist, right? I mean, so, Scientology, same thing, you know, you're talking about things that could be construed as offensive or cult-like. The Me Too movement itself, you know, there's people offended by women getting up and trying to be vocal about how they feel about themselves. People are offended by that. And so then Walt Disney, what's offensive about Walt Disney? I mean... Because um, uh, there's some a lot of uh, I've heard multiple calls for boycotts Yeah, that blackface is one thing, yeah. And I've heard from multiple calls of boycotts against Disney over years for like supporting companies that support like LGBTQ stuff. So, I mean, you know, it's just, point being is that with free speech, there's gonna be things that are offensive in any type of free speech. You can never say something that 100% of the population is gonna agree with. It comes down to one central thing, which is choice. Meaning that, uh, even though we may be offended by free speech you still have the right to use free speech not 100% Remember, we talked about that in, in that if you're saying things that are harmful or li- or uh, slandering somebody that could be um, that could be a potentially a actionable item against you yes I have a yes I feel like i've heard that, like, so when people say like, fire like, fire, shout, fire, yeah. fire is that against free speech or is that for you? <coughs> that's um that's against free speech because um you're causing a public harm okay. and you it, it, it could result in some harm occurring and so you want to avoid things like that that could cause a disruption I a huge example, but I really didn't know if that was something that was like not yeah. protected Yeah. Yeah, if you go in a theater or crowd theater and you'll fire and people start storming out and stampede yeah, you're going to get in trouble for that. So um but the point being with all this is that Even though we may not agree with certain ideologies or stances on positions, um, we have to respect people's rights to use free speech. Because otherwise, let's say that, you know, uh, assume that, you know, you go to a Christian church and um, you all of a sudden say, well, because you guys said that these people can't speak, we've flipped it, now you can't speak, you know. And so you start the, the, it's a slippery slope of eroding, erosion of liberty, and so as you take away the rights of others, you actually shoot yourself in the foot. You remember that case on Hot Coffee where they voted for Prop 12 and said that, I'm voting to eliminate frivolous lawsuits, but what ended up happened was he eliminated his own right to seek damages in his own legitimate medical lawsuit. And so you have to be real careful when it comes to protecting those free speeches, even though we may not always agree with the type of speech that's out there. But we have the choice. This is the other side of the coin. If we don't agree with speech, turn the channel. You don't have to listen to that, you know. And uh, that's the, I think we get really wrapped up in our society today, and we'll sh- get online and start pumping out our own ideology or way we believe. And we just there's nothing wrong with just sitting back and just not participating in that. Because that's why we have such entrenched ideologies today. When we're not willing to listen to each other, we're, we're, we believe ourselves to be the correct. I mean, imagine what it was like living in a time when everybody believed the world was actually flat. And here comes Galileo saying, guess what? It's actually not, you know, flat. It's round. Nobody believed the guy. And today we realize he was actually correct. So we all believe we are correct until somebody uh, and through time we believe that there's actually a counter argument. Alright, there's one other thing I want to talk about before we jump into Chapter 4-2. <laughs> and I saw a presentation this weekend and I wanted to share it with you because I actually did the exact thing I told you guys not to do. I actually was on Facebook yesterday so I saw a presentation where a guy had a pie and he asked people in the mall, said you want to participate in a brief activity regarding income inequality. And they said sure, so the people come over and he would say, "How much of the pie do you believe belongs to each group uh, of people in the United States? Meaning the top 20 percent of wealth holders, the middle uh, the people in between the middle and the top, the middle, people between the middle and the bottom, and the bottom 20 percent." So he said, "If you took this pie and chopped it up into pieces, well, how much would go on each plate? What do you guys think?) Who's the- like- how- the pie is symbolic of all the wealth in the United States. So, how much pie would the top 20% of households own? Well, I saw something a while back. I don't know if it's true or where I saw it from, but it was like the top 2% right. worldwide, except for the rest of the 98%. Or the top 1% of the world owns more wealth than the top the bottom 50%. I don't know about that top 2%, but that might be true. The 98%, yeah. What's that? Probably over half. Over half? Anybody else have a thought? How much of the pie would go on the the top 20% plate? I'm going to tell you. So 90% of the pie would go on the top 20% of the plate, or the top 20% group. 7% or half a slice would go on the, or a little more than half, would go on the middle group between middle and top. And then the middle group, the, mid, the midpoint, would get about 3% of the wealth. The... Group next to the bottom will get less than one percent, and then the very bottom group have no wealth. They're in debt. They have a negative net worth. <coughs> and so the reason I share this, I, when I shared it on Facebook, I had two people immediately chime in with arguments as to why this is garbage. One guy said, "Well, that's a great thing about America. You can start with plate number one and go all the way. Go as far as you want to grow." That's true. I'm not disputing that at all. But through my observations, that's the exception not the rule. There's only so many Jeff Bezos, right? There's only so many Steve Jobs. Most people are not entrepreneurs, and that's okay. They're not, what's that? <laughs> yeah, there's only, exactly, I mean, right. It's, be, it's a great idea for all of us to be in the top 10%. But realistically speaking, most people are not gonna go create a multi-million or multi-billion dollar business that elevates their lifestyle across that many. You're lucky if in your lifetime, you can cross one income threshold, really lucky. I mean, if you can take, you know, from being at the very bottom of the poverty um, group and move to the next step, it takes a lifetime. It takes a generation to do that sometimes. I mean, you can skip, you know, on up to the very top, but that's really the exception, not the rule. And not to say that people are lazy, they're not, it's just, That's the system we're in because if you don't have any money, if you're in debt, if you've heard the expression, it takes money to make money, right? I mean, you've got to dig yourself out of that hole number one and then start saving money and trying to provide for yourself and your family and then trying to, the the number one best way to create wealth is entrepreneurship or ownership. And so now you've got to start a business, take a risk. Entrepreneurship (laughs) is probably the riskiest thing you can do in your life. I mean, it's extreme. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of guts. um, you're jumping out into the great unknown, so it's a very risky thing. It's a lot riskier than investing in stocks in the stock market because in stock market you've got all this data that can tell you what the performance of this company has been in the past, what their, what their market cap is, how much money they've got, what their revenue is. You can make a more educated decision, but when you open a business, you're, you're taking a huge risk, but they, businesses are tremendous for wealth creation if you're successful. But you might have might heard another statistic, about 9 out of 10 businesses fail after 5 years. So it's it's a high fail rate, but um, I had the other argument was so the first argument you can start at number one and jump all the way to number five, yeah that's doable, but there's some there's issues with that argument. But the second argument the guy the other person said, well <laughs> wealth it doesn't work like that. It's not a static piece of pie. Wealth is created. That was the argument that he put forward to me. I said I agree. Wealth is created. It's just not created for the bottom 90 percent. And let me illustrate that for you. So let's assume that we double the size of the pie. So we got this size of pie, now we got this size of pie, right? Everybody with me? This is what you ha- happens if you double the size of the pie. More money, but the, st- the the stats stay the same, right? So instead of, if you're in the, in the top 10%, and you got a million dollars, now you got two million, but you're still in the top 10%. And the person that had less than 1%, maybe they could climb up to, nothing would change. I mean, the, the numbers will stay the same, because everybody else went up too. So, and you could, if you multiplied it by hundreds, hundred, there's a hundred size of the pie now, the math stays the same. And so, yeah, uh, I just wanted to share that with you to like show you one thing that income inequality has gotten worse in my lifetime. It used to be where we were at a time when we went through the industrial revolution, we created the middle class, the middle class swole up and you had um, a few poor people at the bottom that needed a safety net. You had a few rich at the top and everybody in the middle, a really nice bell curve, but now that middle class is getting squeezed and they're getting squeezed to the bottom. And what you end up happening in that system, eventually if it keeps going in the direction it is, is that everybody's poor and then you have 1% at the top that's rich. And that's what it's like in countries like Saudi Arabia where you have a very wealthy family that own everything and everybody else is poor. So I just want to show this with you. Maybe it's, it's, it's some, something to think about. But uh, any comments on any of that? The free speech, go. Yeah. Okay. Which uh, which chart? Right here. Yeah, in the middle. I'm sorry. That's the crumbs, less than 1%. Yeah, those are just, it's a little spot. Yeah. Yeah, right. So 90% of the pie ends up on the the furthest plate. So the one piece is sliced up by the second two tiers. The the fourth tier is just crumbs, whatever left. And then the bottom tier has nothing. They're, They're in debt. So interesting stuff. Other comments? All right. So... This leads us into that was a smooth transition into chapter four, so but we're going to jump into chapter four and get started today with that, and I continue it on Wednesday, but for now we're we'll going to be talking about tort law. What is tort law? Wrong law Wrong law, So a tort is a wrong. okay. Um, let me take a tense real quick. I got Grace. I got Kim. Yes. Eric, hello, Patricia. Patricia. is Akina, how you doing? Um, Destiny, Ashton, Chrissy, um, Jacqueline. Hello. Nancy Q is out. Um, let's see Bree, I got you. Amaya. Lo, hello, Josh. Caitlin, got you. Michaela, Melissa, got you. Leslie. Hello. Dexter, Lewis, and Mr. White's out. Okay, got you. Um, so tort law (coughs) has to deal with wrongs that are committed let's talk about that a little bit and so the definition of a tort we already know this is a wrong that's that's a French word meaning wrong so judge a jury is defined as a wrong for which the law will provide a remedy usually monetary or money damages that's the remedy that's the fix that's the cure so to speak tort suits are everyday headlines Plaintiffs rely on common law for remedies in tort suits. Legislation or statutes don't usually provide remedies. Some acts are both criminal and tortious, meaning that you could commit a crime that involves like personal harm or injury, and that could be a tort as well as a criminal act. Uh, So you could get hit on both those. All right, so dimensions of tort liability clear moral basis for recovery in our legal system where a defendant has been careless or has intentionally caused a harm. We usually react negatively when others interfere with our freedom or autonomy. Autonomy means freedom to choose. Individuals alone or with others should not negatively impact third parties. Law will compensate parties harmed by your actions. Tort law can be viewed along different dimensions. And I think our society's changed somewhat in that we really look at things from a legal standpoint. I mean, Judge Judy did something to our society where we think about, if I do this, there could be a potential legal consequence. I think more people are aware of that nowadays than before, and they think they try to, I mean, not to say that people still don't commit crime, that's, that's, that does happen, but I feel like there's more awareness of potential uh, liabilities that could be uh, result from some type of tort. Um, we're looking to define fault. <laughs> Fault is one dimension, uh, is the fault dimension, I'm sorry. Tort law requires a wrongful act by a defendant for a plaintiff to recover. Does not require intent, not concerned about why defendant did it, it's only focused on uh, plaintiff injury. It doesn't matter what the motivation was, um, if you if there was a wrong, that's all we're concerned about and we want to make sure that the person is compensated for that. Um, willful conduct. The defendant or the tort intentionally injures another person. Nothing to argue about tort liability. Crimes resulting in injury to people or property. The injured can file separate suit outside of criminal trial. Um, the first thing to put my mind was the O.J. case. I've talked about this before. I'll talk about it again probably. But in that case, he got found innocent of criminal liability, meaning that he was on trial for a double murder. Um, Nicole Brown, Rod Goldman... He was found uh, innocent of those crimes. Well, the Goldmans turned around and sued him civilly for tortious uh, damages, meaning that you, you know, killed my son, uh, you, you, know, t- you harmed our family, and he was actually found guilty in that case. So that's kind of weird if you think about it. You've been acquitted criminally but found guilty civilly. And so um, they were able to actually get some recovery from that I don't know the exact amount but it was millions of dollars um, and he had to forfeit like sales of property, he had to forfeit rights to books and things that would go towards the Goldman family. Uh, The nature of injury, um, tort liability varies by type of injury caused. Most obvious type, physical harm to a person or property, (coughs) can include resulting mental distress. So Somebody did something, my car, you know, whatever it is, you know, I didn't get any damages from it, but I'm, I am feel stressed out about it. I have some PTSD from it. This uh, is a legitimate thing. Sometimes it's not. You know, that's, that's why we had that conversation about the hot coffee case and other cases around that documentary is that it's hard to prove mental distress. You know, the way we prove it in court is did you seek counseling and what type of evidence do you have? On, that you've sought mental health, you know, counseling, or uh, what kind of documentation can you provide? And in extreme cases where there's a lot of money on the line, they may bring in counseling. You know, the if you're suing a company, they may want to bring forth their own counselor to evaluate you, to talk to you, <coughs> and you can have your own counselor provide, you know, counter and a counter argument. And so um, these are legitimate and can be very expensive uh, litigation from a company's perspective if you've caused some type of harm to somebody. Um, There's, I don't want to say, I don't want to cite a specific case because I'm struggling to think of one, but as an example, like, I want to think there was a case where a plane broke down on the runway and the people were held in the plane for an extended unreasonable amount of time, like eight to ten hours or something like that. It was a long time. and there was a lawsuit that resulted in that what is your opinion of that you had to sit on a plane for eight to ten hours and you said it caused me emotional distress so do you think that's a legitimate case i do i do because if you have a baby and you're <coughs> if you have some medical issues and yeah. you thought i'm only gonna be on this plane for three hours and you didn't bring all your meds um, yeah, I you
1: know, there's a, a sanitary thing
0: going on with the toilet. i know yeah, I mean, like, this. Um, I definitely Um, My thing would be if the only reason there would be a, a right for that, like, case, and like getting some money out of that, is that there was, like, actual reason to why they could not get off that plane. Like, right. Well. I still do understand what could take that long. So. There could be there's a rule, it's a, I don't know if it's a rule or a law, under the regulations now that if you board a plane, like, They don't allow for people to disembark unless in extreme cases, like uh, like, and it's has to do with anti-terrorism measures and things like that. They're trying to make sure that no unwanted individuals get on that plane, you know, that kind of stuff. And so that was the reason why they didn't disembark and let them, uh, you know, because they they probably kept thinking it's just gonna be another 30 minutes or another hour. But yeah, eight to 10 hours. That's a long that's a long time. I can see it being a case. I don't know what a judge how they would interpret that, you know, and so we just don't know. So other uh, protected interests, privacy, reputation, economic interests. Um, there was a case that where I want to say an athlete was on Twitter and some guy came on to some people, I don't know if, who what it was or what all the details were. Anyway, they threatened this guy's family. They said they were going to like sexually assault his daughter, something like that, and she was underage, she was a minor. And they got yeah they got in a lot of trouble for that they were they were arrested i don't know how i don't know what the result of the uh of uh, the the case was, but yeah, you have to be very careful um i would I would just think it's crazy to threaten people online i mean that's you're asking for trouble i mean you never know when i mean this day and age when local law enforcement or s b i or f b i or n s a homeland security or anybody's going to show up at your door, you know Yeah, do you think it would be wise to threaten like a a large political figure online? I mean, like that kind of stuff. I mean, they're not playing. Uh, I think at the the least, uh, I mean, nothing might happen, but you might have somebody come knock on your door and uh, inquire about it. So you just never know, I mean, how these things are gonna go. (laughs) So excuses, this is another element. Um, The excuse for committing an apparent wrong. The law does not condemn every act that ultimately results in injury. One common rule of, um, ex, ex, I'm sorry, it's ex, ex, exculpatory, but exculpation. There you go. Removing blame is assumption of risk. Another excuse is negligence of the plaintiff. So, um, meaning that, uh, with regards to negligence, if the plaintiff did something that was apparently neg- negligent, like they should have known better or they didn't uh, offer due care, they can, if they're trying to sue because of something that happened to them well, they should have known better than to do the same. As an example, there's been cases of this where somebody was trespassing on somebody else's property and they get injured while on that person's property. Um, now, if you cross the barrier, a physical barrier to get onto that property, you know, then you basically uh, have an assumption of risk there. You realize that you're assuming that risk. But there have been cases where people got severely injured on somebody else's property and then uh, they sue and it goes to trial, and it really comes down to the, the circumstances and how the judge interprets uh, the case performed. So. <coughs> so damages, the purpose of tort law is to compensate the victim for harm actually done. Damages are usually measured by the extent of the injury, and so there's a lot of ways to um, award damages, uh, and... It, it, you know most cases not 90% plus cases are settled pre-trial and you have to measure um, what the likelihood of you winning at trial and how much the damages will be versus settling um, with settlement you get a guarantee you know if somebody's going to offer you some type of compensation but if you go to trial number one there's no guarantee there's added costs legal fees associated with that and uh, you just don't know you're really rolling the dice with the jury and the judge and how that's going to go yes. right a lot of that just settlement and it's either or um, so lawyers that are on TV that say you know call us if you you know we'll take your we'll review your case for free if we take your case you pay nothing unless um, unless we win you know but basically if you look, they're basically what they do is they pre-qualify you and they say we look at your case and we think you have a legitimate claim for an actionable event And if they believe that you have a legitimate action, um, they'll say, well, we're gonna assume the risk on ourselves, meaning that we're not gonna take any pay for this. And with the hope, hey, sir, how are you? you? Good to see you. you. Yes, sir. Good, good. But we're uh, assuming that we believe we have a legitimate case that we can win. That way, we're gonna work for free for now, but we believe greater than not that we can win this case and therefore if you win and you receive a remedy we're gonna take probably about a 25 to 35% of that you know so usually a quarter to a third is their compensation and so if you call them up you know they're able to get a forty thousand dollar judgment on your behalf or a settlement on your behalf they're gonna take ten to twelve thousand of that you know and pocket it and you will get the rest yes <laughs> repeat that's i don't understand the question i'm sorry they okay they can win right oh no no they they they, they don't take usually in those situations and it's not i'm not saying this is a blanket statement but usually in those situations they don't take any compensation if they lose the problem that you run into though is you may not be able to adjudicate your case again because they've already they've already settled that case or or been found you know that there was no case to begin with so yeah i mean uh in every case is different what you see nowadays a lot or um, class action lawsuits against like chemical companies that cause cancer or, uh, mesothelioma is a big one. Um, asbestos is a big one. Yes. I don't, I haven't heard anything about that since. Yeah. I mean, it was a weird act. Um, I heard that it's a normal thing for a pilot to do that, but it's not normal to do it where they did it. So. Um, but I don't know any updates on that it would not surprise if there's a lawsuit from that though yeah so other questions comments about anything we're talking about anything we've talked about today all right we'll take a time out here for today and pick it back up on Wednesday thank you for your attention um, I guess the homework will be due Friday but uh, it's not harmful to get and start, start looking at that today so all right guys I'll see you yeah, Wednesday I yeah I think I put it on the calendar to do it today but you it, do because it's on my, my whiteboard. Calendar. okay That's fine. I'll give you you four more days. That's fine. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you liked it, please subscribe, like, and share. If you're feeling extra generous, please consider leaving an iTunes review. My name is Ryan Bradshaw, and I produce this podcast to help students connect with the material, but also to be able to share the content with the world. My hope is through education, we can make the world a kinder, happier and better place. Thank you for joining me and I look forward to our time together in the future. Until then, I wish you well.